We're in a series on the followers of Jesus Christ, and we have been going through the various apostles and disciples and uh, looking at various uh, men and the journey that they have been on. So I'm going to invite you to take a look at some of the disciples, and the disciples that we're going to look at this morning are the followers that, uh, um, as soon as we get things squared away uh, behind me, the follower of Judas Iscariot is who we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's going to be all about either a follower or a faker of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge us. Judas Iscariot, uh, the man that we often know, and he also has become just a name that we give to somebody we think is a betrayer. But he was a real person that lived in those days. And the real question that we want to ask, are we followers or fakers? We have a tendency, to, some of us, to fake it. I was intrigued by this headline that came out of the uh, uh, Wall Street Journal just a couple of months ago. And uh, it was this. Here's the title of the article. Why work out when you can just buy the clothes and look like you do? <laughs> and what it does is it goes on to talk about the, the purchase of workout garments is $100 billion by 2020. We're spending a lot of money on workout clothes. And what they write in that article is that the U.S. athletic marketplace will increase nearly 50%, driven in large part by consumers snapping up stretchy tees and leggings that will never see the fluorescent lights of a gym. And the trend isn't limited to yoga. Outdoor and camping retailers have debuted new lines of hiking boots and flannel shirts for people who probably have no intention of actually hiking and camping. Yoga clothing have sold and increased by 45%, and yet only 5% have actually grown in the yoga treatment. One woman said, when you buy your workout apparel, you think, yeah, maybe I should think about working out today. And it reminds me that there's a lot of us that like to put on, on the outside that we look like we are doing what we want everybody to think we're doing on the inside. And this morning we're going to have a great little expose on the life of Judas as a man who lived on the outside a discipleship of Jesus Christ, but on the inside he was much a betrayer. And so I want us to take heart. It's really a serious method, uh, message when you think about it. Because we don't want to be one who is like Judas. And yet, notice some of the subtleties. Now, here is the first thing I want us to talk about. You have an outline that's available for you. I encourage you to follow along. I'm going to be going through a lot of Scripture verses. I'm just going to throw them on the screen a little bit easier than us trying to page back and forth. And I'll try to put each passage in a little bit of a context. But I'm so this is so important for us to understand the difference between those who follow Jesus and those who are faking it with Jesus. The hypocrites putting on a mask. Like it's Halloween, we put on a mask and we pretend it's something else. Well, followers of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that we're not perfect. One of the great complaints about the church today is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And I've heard that for all the years that I've been doing that, and that's not a shocking news flash. Yeah, there are hypocrites in the church. But just because we mess up every so often, it doesn't make us a hypocrite. I want you to show what a follower looks like. A follower is one who, as I put on the screen, remains humble in light of our imperfections and mistakes. We do make mistakes. I make mistakes. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do. It doesn't necessarily turn me into a hypocrite or a faker. For example, 
followers can have very selfish motivations at times. We can be driven by a desire that comes out of something that is less than Christ-like. For example, look at this in Luke 22:24. In Luke 22, Jesus has just poured out his heart that he's going to die for them. They had communion together. Right after the communion service, this is what verse 24 says. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Jesus just talked about communion, giving his life for them that they could have heaven forever. And what's the first thing? Jesus, am I greater than John or is Peter greater than me? It's just just unbelievable that their hearts are so far distant from what Jesus was just talking about. Here's Matthew 19.27. Again, towards the latter days of Christ. Then Peter said to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? So they're like, I want to follow you, Jesus but what's in it for me? I want to join your church, but what's in it for me? I want to go to that life group, but what's in it for me? I'll show up on a Sunday, but what's in it for me? If I don't think there's something in it for me, why should I go to be caring for others? And that is the selfishness of the true followers. We're all prone to that. We have a tendency to that. Then followers can have doubts about God's plans. I'll have doubts about a lot of things that are occurring in life. For example, we saw last week that Thomas, so the other disciples were saying to Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands and the imprints of his nails, I will not believe. True followers of Jesus will have doubts about what God's up to. Should I do this? Should I have that plan? Should I follow through on this commitment? Are those people trustworthy? We will have doubts about things that we don't know what God is doing. And then finally, true followers not just make mistakes, not just have doubts, but followers can impulsively deny Jesus Christ. We can be placed in a setting where we just don't uh, want to talk about the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because there is a labeling that goes on today. Uh, there is an intolerance that goes on today for those of us who believe what we believe. And about certain social behaviors and a certain uh, beliefs that are out there, we don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian. Notice that Peter famously did this. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had told Peter, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We followers, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're going to impulsively deny Jesus Christ. We're going to express doubts. In fact, sometimes you think, well, God, am I really saved? Am I really going to go to heaven? I've had conversations with people who are just days away from dying. And they say, I, I want some reassurance about heaven because I, I feel a little uncertain as to where I'm going and what's going to happen when I get there and am I going to really get there. Can you just once again tell me, what did Jesus say about heaven and, and what it means and how I get there? Can you just remind me? These are followers that have walked with Jesus for decades. But when the closing hours come, some doubts begin to appear. And that's natural. God understands that. So followers are not perfect people. We shouldn't go around and just act like, well, you know, unless I am perfect, I must be a faker. And we shouldn't label churches filled with hypocrites because occasionally we see a believer in a church who does something wrong, that somehow they're, they're not just classified as hypocrites because we're all vulnerable. So we remain humble. We remain humble on the journey. So what then, therefore, means for us to go from a follower to, 
to a faker. Let's look at the profile of those who fake it for Jesus Christ. That's Judas. A faker's for Jesus. We need to evaluate if you look like a follower of Jesus on the outside, but inside are motivated for selfish gain. Fakers are those that they wear the stretchy tees and the leggings of a workout, but you'll never find them at Gold's Gym or 24-Hour Fitness. They just want the outside look. So we act like I'm a Christian. I go to church like a Christian. I'll take communion like a Christian. I might even been baptized like a Christian. And I will hang out with Christians. So on the outside, it's looking pretty good. But on the inside, it's not there. For example, in John 12, here we meet Judas. It is sort of a midpoint of Jesus' career. It's just about before John 13, the upper room discourse. Mary, one of his great and godly sainted followers, then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. How many of you ladies would wipe your husband's, if you're married, your husband's feet with your hair of oil, this is perfume that cost one year's salary to purchase it. So you get a bottle of perfume and you've worked for an entire year for this bottle of perfume and you love your husband so much that you take your hair and you begin to wet his feet with your hair and that costly perfume. How, how, many, how many ladies do that to your husband? I see no hands. Well, that's what Mary was doing with Jesus. This is just incredible. She, you know, hair, I'm not going to get into the hair thing. Who am I to talk about hair, right? <laughs> so Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So that's a lot of money for a momentary act of worship for Jesus. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume because it was, it was a very expensive perfume. But Judas Iscariot, I put on the back side some facts about Judas. Iscariot refers to his location of his home. So you can get a little background on that. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, so on the outside, he's a disciple, committed, who was intending to betray him. So the wheels are burning in his mind. So we already know this guy's a betrayer. He's not really on board. But on the outside, everybody says he's one of the disciples. In fact, it's interesting. In every list of the disciples that are mentioned in the Bible... Every list that is mentioned of the disciples in the Bible, Judas is always last. There's a little bit of an embarrassment that this guy was one of us, but we identified him as one of us. The next verse says, Why was this perfume, Judas says, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Again, 300 denarii, about a year's wage. I want to give it to the poor people. Judas sounds very noble, very righteous. Why would we waste so much money on this when we've got poor people out there that need the money? And sometimes I get that argument about facilities like this facility and maybe a student center. We get, we get those arguments. Well, we should just give all that money to the poor. Well, Jesus is going to wait a second, wait a second. Now look at Judas's heart. Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor. And I'm not saying that that's what people say when they say about our buildings. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. That's what you call a hypocrite. 
I want to give all the money of the 300 denarii to the poor. And yet Judas at the very same time is putting his hand in the money box because he's the treasurer. Probably nobody else wanted the job. So Judas says, I'll take the job. Man, carry the money around. Easy money for me. I don't have to pay taxes. I'm all cash-based. And so he has this cash that he dips into. And he's intending to betray Jesus. But on the outside, he looks like a follower of Jesus. And he even talks like a follower of Jesus. We should give money to the poor. I'm going to give a year's salary to the poor, he's saying. But on the inside, very corrupt. Notice another example in John 13. This is the upper room. The upper room discourse, the final days, the week of Jesus' death. He is there having communion with his disciples. And as they gather together, he's washed their feet. And then Jesus answered, This is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot, Simon Iscariot. And after the morsel, Satan entered into him. And therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Go quickly and betray me. That's what he's saying. I'm going to give this morsel to the one who's going to betray me. That's what he's saying. So he gives it to them. All the disciples saw Jesus give this morsel to Judas and then said, go do it quickly, betray me. The next verse is enlightening because it says, Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to Judas. For some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast. What we've just read is this. They're sitting around the communion table, the very first communion table sometimes referred to as the Last Supper. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. All the disciples, whoa, not me, whoa, who is it? I can't believe somebody would do that. And then Jesus says, I'm going to give this morsel of bread that we're having communion with to the person who's going to betray me. So he takes a morsel of bread, he gives it to the person who is going to betray him, who is Judas. The men watched him do that. Then they heard Jesus say, what you're going to do, do quickly. And then the disciples say, no one at the climbing at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. And here is the amazing thing. These men have lived with Judas for three years. They've watched his every behavior. And yet at the closing hours of his betrayal of Jesus, no one of those three three years of relationship to those men knew that Judas was the betrayer. Now what that tells me is this, that you can be with someone for years. You can watch them and their behavior. You can see all that they do and say. You can be so close to them. And yet you can be totally unaware that there is a fakery going on in their heart. That they're not the real deal. That they're not really a follower of Jesus. They say the right things. We should give all that money to the poor. But in their heart, there's something corrupt and wrong. And so what it warns me of is that we can be so close to people that pretend to follow Jesus that we are completely deceived that they are not followers of Jesus. That's a scary notion to be in a church like this, that we may have people right sitting next to us who are here, we're glad they're here, but just like Judas sitting next to those other 11 men for three years, hearing everything Jesus said, seeing all the miracles that Jesus performed, and yet never being committed to Christ as a follower. And we can have people going to good churches with good preaching who sit there 
and are never truly a follower of Jesus. That's burdensome to think about. How we can easily fake it. So even those that know us best don't know that we're faking it. That is scary. So that's why this thing is so important. Why is it so hard? 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15 says this, Satan entered into Judas and made this possible. Here's what Paul writes, No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore it is not surprising if his servants like Judas or other fakers today, it is not surprising that if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. It's a little scary to realize that I can march the walk of following Jesus, and yet it's simply a disguise. It's simply this angel of light with no internal reality of knowing Jesus. So we want to clarify that. Here are some of the things that happens. Are you faking it spiritually? The reason that Judas was faking it spiritually, I'm going to give you these reasons. This is why we know what a faker is. These are real things that Judas had. We want to make sure we're not there either. Are you faking it spiritually? Because the reason that Judas was faking it is because you do not connect personally with Jesus' life and mission. He never had a personal connection with Jesus. For example, let me give you the text. In John 6, 64, 65, this is the beginning. This is where we meet Judas and other disciples. Jesus just performed the miracle of the fish and the loaves. He's fed 15,000 people with just a handful of fish and loaves. It's a major miracle that Jesus has done. And then Jesus teaches in John 6 that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are not truly a follower of mine. And they, whoa, what in the world? That seems like craziness to say that. He says, what, what I mean is that you've got to be sold out to me. You've got to be committed to me. You have to really f- have faith in me alone. Be connected with me in a meaningful way. And then when Jesus taught this message that be, says to be a follower of Jesus is not easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. There's going to be sacrifice. When he teaches that to these group, this 15,000 people that just got the free meals, when he teaches that to them, it says many of the disciples, he calls them disciples, many of the disciples withdrew. They never walked with Jesus again. Staggering. When I realized, my goodness, this is going to be hard to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to be a follower of Jesus. It's that hard. Like Peter said, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Jesus says, no, there's nothing in it for you. But to be my follower and have the joy of being connected to Christ forever. Here's what Jesus then says after that big, heavy speech, very tough talk about what it means to a follower of Jesus. But there are some of you who do not believe. Even after other disciples have left, some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. This is a major miracle. Jesus says, Judas, you do not believe. You don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning. He's talking about Judas here. He's referring to him as the betrayer already. Jesus knew from the beginning that Jesus, Judas was going to do this. He still chose him to be a disciple. But 
Pete, but Judas never believed in Jesus as Savior. The Father must draw us to be saved. It's a miracle of God. Here, let me clarify. I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but I just read this article. Well, um, the former mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg. For most of us, he's, uh, who is that? Michael Bloomberg, big-time mayor of New York City. He's moved on now. But I was intrigued by this article, and this helps to clarify what I'm saying. He had a 50th college reunion. He just turned 72. And he says, at 72, I've seen a lot of my peers of this 50th reunion who have died. And he says, it's a sobering thing to realize that I'm at that age where I'm watching more people die than give birth. You know, you begin to watch, to read the obituaries more than you read. <laughs> Anyways, maybe it's just me. But that's where he was at. So he was sobered by that. So the, uh, the New York Times interviewed him. And the author of the interview concluded, But if Bloomberg senses that he may not have as much time left as he would like, he has little doubt about what would await him at Judgment Day. Pointing to his Bloomberg's work on gun safety, obesity. Bloomberg's the guy that banned, you know, uh, be uh, beverages over, what, 32 ounces, something like that. And smoking cessation. Bloomberg said with a grin, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Now that's if there is a God. See, there's a catch there. Caveat. Well, we might groan and, and mumble and under our breath, or some very openly, as I heard. Uh, but I want us to be clear. There are so many that are like the mayor. I earned my way. I did so good. I attended church. I even went through the membership class. I even said the right words to the four spiritual laws. I was baptized. But it's possible because I do those things to earn my way to heaven. Be very clear. Jesus said, some of you do not believe. What should we believe to really know that I'm a follower of Jesus? I need to believe that Jesus Christ is God. Not just a God, not one of the gods, not just one of the many ways to heaven. But I've got to believe that Jesus is God. He is God in human flesh. He is perfect God and perfect man, sinless. And that He came as that perfect God-man to die on the cross. As man, He takes my place on that cross that I deserve. As God, He's able to pay the price of my sin. So as that perfect God, perfect man, taking my place, paying for my sin, I am a sinner, and He is the only way by which I can have those sins removed from my life. So I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that I am unworthy. I believe that I deserve hell. I believe I deserve the wrath of God. And I am humbled by that reality because now my only hope, my only hope, is believing that Jesus died for me as that perfect God, perfect man, substituting in my place to pay for my sins. 
And He alone makes payment for the sins of my life. And I can do nothing to earn that. I can do nothing to remove those sins. Only Jesus does it for me. And He alone makes it possible. Faith alone, in Christ alone, for my salvation of my heart. If you don't believe that, you're faking it. You're not a follower. Jesus said, but some of you do not believe. If you don't believe that, that's what he's talking about, then you're faking it. And we would love for you to become a true follower. I mean, you're going through all the motions. You're here. (laughs) So, So why not get the reality of Christ in you? As Paul writes it, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of heaven. So beautiful. So the beginning point of fakers is to realize what it means to fake it as opposed to really believe it. And that's what followers truly believe. Secondly, are you faking it spiritually because you are disappointed and disillusioned with Jesus' plans for your life? Sometimes we get disillusioned with Christ. And so many believers, so-called believers, fakers if you will, they get so disillusioned that they sort of go off on a tangent and they don't really follow Jesus in their hearts. For example, in Matthew 26 Then, after the merry perfume thing, the 300 denarii, give it to the poor, washing his feet with her hair, all of that, all of that just occurred. Then, after that, one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? So immediately, he is shut down. Judas is is embarrassed in front of the other disciples when Jesus says, Oh, relax, Judas. The poor you'll always have. But we have this one moment where she can come and worship me. It's essentially what Jesus said to Judas. So he's a little shamed. And he's disillusioned now. Wait a second. I thought we were going to have this big powerful kingdom and I'm going to be the second man in command. I'm the treasure. I'm going to run the financial system of your kingdom. And so he's disillusioned. He's disappointed. It's not turning out the way he thought it would. It's not as good as he wanted it to be. And so after that, he goes to the leaders, the chief priests, and he says, what are you willing to give me to betray me? I'm not getting any money from Jesus, so I'm going to find out what I can get from the chief priests. That's what he does. And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. 30 pieces of silver, according to Exodus, is what you would purchase a slave for. He is worth nothing but a slave to us. And Judas is good enough. We just gave away a year's salary of perfume. I'll take him for a slave's price. Then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Fakers get disillusioned with Jesus because Jesus doesn't show up and help them at the right time. We don't get this, that, or the other thing that we wanted. And I'm disappointed. And so therefore I say, forget about it. I'm going to do my own thing. If you're not going to meet the needs that I have, I leave you. Why? Because I never believed you. Belief leads to faith in action. Disbelief leads to disillusion, disappointment, and departure from Jesus. And that's what happens here. We need to be careful. When Jesus doesn't show up for us the way we want Him to, we don't get into a hissy fit where we turn our back on Christ 
Because sometimes His plans are not our plans. And they're disappointing. But I say, Lord, I'm going to trust You through this time. Because I believe You. I really believe You. Then we see this. Are you faking it spiritually because you do not admit or confess your sins to Jesus? And this is one of, the, one of the hallmarks that we talked about earlier here. That I know that I'm a sinner. I know I deserve the wrath of God. Notice that Judas never believed that. He never confessed that. At the end of the day of his life, literally the end of his day, not the cliche end of the day, but at the end of his life, the Son of Man is to go, just as is written of Him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Judas, Judas, it had been better for you never to have been born, but to do what you're going to do. And then notice what says here, And Judas, who is betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said, You have said it yourself. What is so aggravating about that passage is this. Jesus says, you're the man, Judas. You're the betrayer. You know you're the betrayer. You've been scheming to betray me for a long time. Of course you're the betrayer. Of course you're the faker. Of course you're a phony follower of mine. I know that. You know that. We all know that. We're going to learn that in time. Maybe just at this moment, Jesus and Judas are the only two that know this because of the disciples. Remember, they didn't understand what was going on. But Judas knew it, and then he poses. Judas, who was betraying him, who was betraying him, said, Surely it's not I. Wait a second. You can't be betraying him and then say, Surely it's not I. It's the irony, the contradiction. And it's the, and this is the thing. It's the failure to confess a known sin. It's a failure to say, I have sinned. I have done this wrong, but I'm not going to confess it. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to live in that sin. I'm going to persist in that sin. And I will not confess that sin. Fakers persist in known sins and refuse to repent and confess it. Because they're dead, they're spiritually dead. And I don't feel the weight of sin when I'm spiritually dead. And Judas doesn't get that. Spiritually dead people don't feel sin like followers of Jesus feel guilt. If I lie or cheat or do something wrong or a bad thought, I mean, I don't know that I lie, but if I do those things, my goodness, there's a, there's a burden on my heart that says, God, remove this from me. I, I know that's not your holiness. Forgive me of that. When spiritually dead, I mean, you take a spiritually dead body, I mean, literally, spirit, literally, you take a literally physically dead body, you lay it on this platform, you can put a thousand pounds on that dead body, and that dead body will not fill an ounce of that weight. Spiritually, spiritually dead people do not fill an ounce of guilt of the weight of sin. That's why when we want to draw people to know Jesus, we don't talk so much about how sinful they are. We want to talk about how wonderful Jesus is. Because most sinners... They don't feel that bad about the sin. It feels kind of good to them. They sort of like it. A lot of sin feels good. So we want to bring them to Jesus. Let Jesus bring the weight of His glory that eventually caused them to believe in Him and remove the weight. Have new life, brand new life, so they can believe in that. Fakers do not confess known sins to Jesus. Are you faking it because you persist in a calculated disobedience to Jesus with no repentance? Again, same theme. 
Matthew 27, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. We said, whoa, a, a spiritual awakening has occurred. Revival is breaking out in Judas's life. There is an acknowledgement that he has sinned. We say, that's progress from what I just said. That's great. Here's what Judas has discovered. One of my favorite quotes. Let me quote Dave Mitchell. You never find in sin what you enter sin to find. And that's what Judas discovered. He did not find in his sin of betrayal what he entered his sin of betrayal to find. So he says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. What an idiot I am. And then it goes on to say this. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. So here is the sad part. He threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and he hanged himself. And it just bothers me to no end that here's a man, I'm a sinner. What a terrible thing I've done. So I'm just going to go hang myself. He never goes to the Savior. He never goes to the Redeemer. He never goes to the Good Shepherd. He never goes to the God that he lived with for three years and said, Jesus, I repent. Forgive me of my sins. Like the other man on the cross next to Jesus' cross. Lord, remember when you get to heaven. And not exactly uh, the four spiritual laws, but Jesus says, good enough for me. You're going to heaven with me. If Judas had just come to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you go to heaven. I am so sorry for what I have done. But he didn't do that. So here's Judas. Judas feels remorse and sorrow for what he did. He does not believe in Jesus who died for him. It's one thing to be sorry for my sin. It's a whole other thing then to say, but I'm going to now surrender to Christ. A lot of us get sorry for our sins because you never find in sin what you entered sin to find. And we find out that that is a bad place to live. There are consequences to disbelieving. There are consequences to sinful behavior. And those consequences can be painful. And there's remorse over the pain that I feel because of the sin. But that's not saving us. What we need to do is to go to Jesus. That's why Jesus, God doesn't send anybody to hell because of their sins. We send ourselves to hell because we don't believe in Jesus. Jesus is the solution. Not minimizing my sin or taking away and not sinning so much. That doesn't save us. It's believing in Jesus. That's what saves us. So Judas never quite got that. And what happens when you live that way? becomes subject to Satan's destructive plans. It's a terrible place to be. Notice this progression. There's three times we see Satan or the devil associated with Judas. In, Judas, in John 7, 70, Jesus, Jesus calls Judas devil. You are the devil. He just upright says it. The other men are like, what in the world is he talking about there? But in John 13, at the Lord's Last Supper, Jesus is going to wash their feet. And then it says the devil put an idea into Judas's heart. So what happens that, that I associate with the devil, then the devil puts a bad idea in my brain. And then in John 13, 25, a little bit later in that same passage, the devil enters into Judas's heart. When you're a faker, Satan gives you ideas, and then Satan gives you power to do the ideas. And I don't understand it. It's beyond me. All I know is that that's what happened to Judas. 
Satan says, here's an idea, Judas, betray Jesus. And then Satan gives Judas the power to complete the bad idea. That's why faking it for Jesus is so dangerous. Because I am vulnerable to the evil world that loves to destroy my life. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen to this. Jesus said, the evil one has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And when I'm just a faker, but not a follower, I don't have the power of Christ in me to overcome and resist the evil one's influence in my life. So that's why it's so important. The positive side is this. We can have faith in Christ where He can help me to overcome it. I need to trust that God will overcome evil and accomplish His purposes. We need to have that faith in Christ. We're always going to sin until we go to heaven. So again, I'm not minimizing that sin is wrong. I'm just saying don't try to go to heaven by sinning less. We go to heaven by trusting in Jesus more. And so I need to trust that God will overcome all my evil. He overcame the evil of Judas by bringing about good. And what Judas meant for evil, God meant for good. Jesus' death and resurrection to save all that believe. That's the good news. So the invitation is to become no longer a faker, but a follower of Jesus by believing that God will take whatever wrong that I've ever done and turn it for good. Because He is a mighty sovereign God as He did it in Judas' life. The good is that Jesus died for our sins because of Judas's betrayal. Somehow that sovereign mixing of God's will to take the evil of betrayal that shouldn't have happened and yet turning the good of the cross and Jesus' death that we're glad happened. That's what we are thankful for. So what happens? Look at this. Behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table, for indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. See, it was all part of God's determined will. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Sort of a warning shot to Judas. Woe are you, Judas. You can change. God has other ways to do this, maybe. Acts 2.23, And the man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You see, God was sovereignly working, even as Judas was evilly betraying. This is the mystery, how God can take our fragile lives and sovereignly master plan, master plan His will for good. When we are a follower of Jesus, it comes out for good. It's an amazing thing. We don't sin that grace may abound, but God does good out of evil. Jesus will never stop loving us when we fail. We need to hang on to that. In John 13, during the supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, see, he's susceptible to the devil because he's a faker, not a believer. The son of Simon to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. See how Christ has a sovereign faith in his Father in heaven, that even as he's going to the cross, he believes this. And it goes on to say this in John 13. He got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash Judas's feet. This is the staggering thing. Judas, you are going to do the most evil thing that man could ever do to Jesus. But let me wash your feet, even as you plot your betrayal. This is our Jesus. He invites us. He invites us into his life because he loves us, even in our evil. He loves us. He wants to engage with us. Secondly, Jesus will reach out to you when you're wrong. Even when I'm wrong, Christ says, I, I want to still repair what's broken. 
I want to heal the rift. I want to reconcile with your heart. Notice, John 13, upper room, communion service, last supper, washing of the feet has occurred. When Jesus said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know which one he was speaking again. They had no idea it was Judas, how well Judas fakes it. And there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, who was John, John the Apostle, who wrote this. That's how he refers to himself in the text. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom you are speaking, who's the betrayer. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Who's going to betray you? I love this. Then Jesus answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Now for us, we said, oh, I gave him the morsel. Here's what it means in that culture. They're sitting at the table. They recline. It's a low table, usually very low, kind of your legs sticking out. And somebody's leaning on Jesus. Maybe it's John. Maybe it's Peter. Judas is sitting right there. He's right there. And Jesus says, let me take this little bread of morsel. He dips it in the wine. And he gives it to Judas. Now what does that mean to them? It doesn't mean that to us. But what it meant to them is this. When you take that morsel, you dip it in there, what's being communicated is that I give this morsel to those who are my friends. And what the disciples are watching, you're giving this morsel to a friend. You're giving it to Judas. No wonder they thought, well, Judas can't be the betrayer because Jesus just said, you're my friend, Judas. That's what that meant. That's why as I go back to the earlier in the message, they didn't get it. Because Jesus continued to treat this faker, this betrayer, as his friend. And the other disciples saw him as a friend. But Judas, he knew what Jesus was saying. Judas, you're my friend. I would love to stop the betrayal. I would love to cleanse your heart as I washed your feet. But Judas, I still love you, even as you betray me in the worst way. That's what Jesus is saying. And so to those of us who are still fakers in this room, if there are any, Jesus says, I want to reach out to you with that same morsel, and I want to invite you into a relationship with me. I want to call you my friend, no longer faking it, but truly believing in me. That's what Jesus' invitation is. To come into that fullness of being a follower of Christ. Believing in Him alone. And putting aside all wrongdoing. And God will cover up all that bad stuff. And bring you into a beautiful relationship with a Lord that loves you desperately. We invite you to come to know Him. And we're going to give you an opportunity at the close of our service to come up here and pray. And receive that Savior, Jesus Christ. And let that morsel be for you. Thank you. You are my friend. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you're a loving God. Lord, we will, we will mess up like the best of them. I know that I will. When it comes to wrong motivations for things or denying you and not living for you as we should, 
saying the wrong thing, doing, oh boy, Lord, there can be a, just a boatload of things that I can do that it's wrong. But Father, I still want to follow Jesus. I believe in Him. Lord, I pray especially for those who maybe are faking it now, have known sins that they refuse to confess, are persisting in a calculated betrayal of Jesus, are looking good on the outside, but inside they know their hearts are selfish for selfish gain, plotting in ways that somehow disguises the reality of their heart. Lord, I pray for deliverance for any that may be there in that place here in this room or those of us we know, family members of ours, friends of ours, co-workers. God, we pray for deliverance for them that they would see the friendship that Christ offers them, the salvation, the redemption that is available for them, that they would see what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus. Not just going through the motions, not just a church attender, not just a church member, not just a baptized follower, but truly one who believes in Christ, never disillusioned to the degree of turning their back, but trusting in you nevertheless. Help us, Father, to reclaim those that truly need to follow you. And we thank you for that, because you are the one who draws them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.